0: My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive, virtual, augmented, and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales, to logistics and training, to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy and why you should too. Today's guest is Greg Caterer. Greg is the Chief Operating Officer at Neutral Digital, an end-to-end immersive content creator focusing on the luxury travel sector. Neutral Digital is aviation-focused content creation house at the cutting edge of immersive interaction solutions. They deliver augmented reality, virtual reality, digital design, architectural visualization, in-flight entertainment solutions, and apps and websites for the aviation industry. In a nutshell, they deliver technology for clients' campaigns. The Neutral Digital team consists of professionals with a wide-ranging expertise in VR, digital experience design, software development, and CG production. Neutral Digital can be found at Neutral Digital, so it's N-E-U-T-R-A-L dot digital, D-I-G-I-T-A-L. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you very much, Alan. Thanks for having me on the show. My absolute pleasure. I'm really excited to learn about the stuff you're doing. I've seen some of the videos. I've seen what you guys are doing. Holy crap, it's really, really awesome the stuff you're doing. Thank you. yeah, it is. We're
1: certainly very proud of all the work that we've been uh, that we've been doing, particularly since specializing in the aviation sector and then obviously more broadly the the travel sector as well. Um, we we feel as though we we get the chance to educate an industry as well as uh, creating and selling a product um, and really sort of helping to define exactly how this niche can use extended reality and
0: particularly virtual reality technology. So yeah, we're very proud of what we do. So okay, let's get right into this because I think, you know, one of the things that blew me away was the photorealism that you guys have created of 3D models and kind of virtual environments of being in an airplane. And maybe explain you know if you can speak to brands that are using this, if you can't, that's fine. But speak to kind of what it is you're building and why that's important and you know, let's kind of unpack this because if you're somebody who's who's in the aviation world, this is a technology that can be used right across your enterprise from pre-visualization, marketing, sales, training, remote assistance, remote collaboration. It can be used everywhere. So, what is the focus of what you guys have been doing, and what are the results that people are seeing? You're absolutely right with your observation, Alan, about
1: uh, especially the breadth of use cases that this technology has. So. There's a lot in this. I'm going to try and condense this down to um, a relatively concise answer. But broadly speaking, um, because of the replicability and the repeatability of everything that's created in CG, um, we would build experiences that focus on marketing, training and design um, for airlines, for component manufacturers, for training bodies, etc. So anybody who's got anything uh, to do with aviation, where there's a sort of a high cost of acquisition for the product itself, or where there's something intensely physical that needs to be shown off. So a really good use case, and one of the main um, kinds of work streams and strands that we tend to focus on is, is marketing. Um, there's a very, very big cost benefit to this, uh, and also it, it calls out the perhaps the benchmark technology that existed before this, which, which maybe from the aviation sector's point of view, a little bit fell into the realms of tech for tech's sake in a way. So we've taken this from a marketing point of view, and I'll talk about the Air Canada project that was our our very first and and biggest in this domain that we did a couple of years ago in a minute, um, that solves kind of two really key problems. So first of all, um, by creating experiences that that focus on the airline experience itself, so all of the branding piece, um, what it's actually like to be on board an aircraft with a specific carrier. Um, First of all, you can, for trade shows or for sales centers, for example, we found um, that our technology really has its home in solving a cost problem. So um, traditional methods of, of going about this for trade shows, particularly as the focus would be to send a, ca- a cabin cross-section cutouts or indeed physical seats to trade shows at great expense. So that can cost anything up to $100,000, $120,000 per trade show, depending on the complexity of the physical setup.
0: And then wow. So- okay, yeah. hold, on, hold on a sec. So people would, these plane companies would bring, Like a section of the cabin, so that this is insane. And now with virtual reality, what would the cost be to deploy to to make everything top to bottom? Would be far less than one trade show. Am I am I wrong?
1: Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong at all. So it it little a little bit varies on the complexity of what it is that wants to be shown off. Um, But typically, these kinds of experiences in VR pay for themselves against logistics costs and physical setup costs. Um, within one to two trade shows. So not only do you get that benefit, so the the costs of shipping, and this still happens a lot of the time, by the way, this is still very much a a method that that a lot of airlines are still still sort of preferring, Um, but also beyond that, it allows the user, as we know, full VR technology is extremely effective at doing, it allows the user to feel completely immersed in the experience, and it allows them to drive it as well in that the way that it's built is the same as the way that you build a VR video game, for example. Um, so we prefer the Unreal Engine uh, to to build all of our experiences in of this, of this kind. Um, and so, straight yeah, well,
0: away, pause for a second and, and just touch on uh, on that. Can you maybe uh, explain to to listeners who have never heard of Unreal and you know maybe they've heard of Epic Games and you know Fortnite and you know they think video games or something like that. Can you explain how the kind of game engines uh, or the development engines are being used to develop this type of content? Just just a quick overview.
1: Yeah, sure. So there's, there are, broadly speaking, two game engines that are used for this. There's Unreal uh, and then there's Unity. Um, Unity, we find, is is extremely effective for um, things like sort of maybe slightly more screen-based experiences. We have been working in Unreal for a long time, and we've certainly built our team around that. So we've got a number of Unreal developers who work for us here in-house and, and are extremely extremely experienced and extremely good at what they do. And we find that the, the combination of the ability to produce experiences that are extremely visually complex and... Um, As photo real as possible, along with the interactive properties of using that engine, are are extremely powerful for these kinds of experiences. So, in the same way, like I said before, as as if you would build a a video game using um, a video game in VR using the Unreal Engine that really immerses the user, we find that that's an extremely powerful sensory tool. uh, In the same way as fully interactive, fully immersive gaming is to make the user feel like they're somewhere else, Um, and that's why we that's why we use uh, this methodology
0: wonderful is there a cost difference between using unity versus unreal or even you know uh, maybe uh, finding developers that are are good for each of them is that you know is that a challenge for for different ones Because i know uh, the the ceo of of unity had mentioned at one point that about 70% of all virtual and augmented reality was built on unity and then uh, somewhere else i read a stat that 70% of all the money is made on unreal so is there <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realise that. I mean, I think, um,
1: I think industry generally is still sort of getting used to this a little bit because perhaps using this means of building these experiences is still relatively new from a B two B point of view. So access to these skills potentially is still not quite as as open and as as sort of plentiful and vast as it could yet be. Um, and so, well, we we certainly don't we haven't we haven't found any difficulties in accessing the right talent for for this kind of thing. So, like I say, our, our our guys in house are extremely skilled. The the blend of Unreal developers and Unity developers that we have is obviously you know is something that, that favors the Unreal engine at the moment because that's the engine that we typically build most of our experiences in. But I think um, as VR cements itself as really sort of a, a medium of communication uh, for a number of different sectors, and indeed as a uh, a necessary business process, which we at Neutral Digital firmly believe is going to be the case within not so many years from now. Um, you know, obviously, as any industry goes and builds itself up, I think access to those skills is going to become a lot wider and a lot more freely available. But yeah, for now, um, there's uh, there, there's good access to to the right talent, and and we at Neutral certainly feel think we've um, we've 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 picked pretty much the best of the bunch here. So
0: yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest. I've seen a lot of uh, VR and AR, and the stuff that you guys are doing. You know, that's that's why I, I asked you to be on the show because it's one, it's it's beautiful. It's really well done. But two, you're working with some really big brands, and so let's kind of look at how the brands are using this. You know, you talked about bringing it to trade shows. Um, you know, can you describe maybe specific projects, goals, and kind of KPIs or key performance indicators of what they're using to measure success with this? Absolutely. So let's use the Air Canada example as the main one. So, so like I say,
1: they were our um, they were our original client in this domain. So, so they approached us with um, a desire to um, really go beyond the physical infrastructure of trade shows and create something a lot more immersive that that saved a lot of cost from from logistics and having these physical infrastructures in place on the one hand, and secondly went a little way beyond 360 degree video, for example, in that. Um, I think it, for this kind of use case, 360 definitely, definitely has a really really solid place, but being able to build these experiences digitally means that you can create something that's first of all user-led and then obviously with that is is extremely interactive. So they wanted to create something that first of all in, harnessed those cost savings from being able to just create an experience that was very sort of moldable, very multi-sensory. Um, and then they also wanted to create something yeah, that went a little bit beyond what the benchmark was at the time. So the fact that all of this technology and all of these experiences, every asset that you build in the Unreal Engine and use in this way, um, can be replicated for other disciplines is also extremely powerful for airlines, um, component manufacturers, aircraft manufacturers alike. So, for example, we're really now starting to see um, a very, very strong set of use cases within the training sphere. So training for cabin crew and also training for ground operations. And then design. So the ability to collaboratively design a cabin without sort of using physical mock-ups until any designs, for example, of the entire cabin or even just of an individual seat by a seat designer has been completely sort of signed off by all parties involved in VR. So we're finding that from the marketing use case, uh, the the it's kind of grown legs in a way. The, the way that this can be used is really starting to define itself. And we're, we're certainly seeing a snowball effect in terms of the way that our our content is digested and the kinds of experiences that we're building.
0: It's incredible. You mentioned 360. And I I think I just want to, you know, for the people who are listening, who don't understand the difference. So virtual reality, uh, you know, basically you're taking a scene and putting it into a headset and kind of immersing somebody in this complete uh, environment. Um, There's kind of two types right now. There's what, what's called three degrees of freedom, meaning you can look left, look right, look up and down, but you can't move in the space. And then you have what's called six degrees of freedom, meaning, look left, right, up and down, and then move left, right, up and down. And so you have this kind of real uh, ability to move around and just that that simple uh, change really makes the immersion uh, amplified by, by factors of, you know, exponentials. And then adding controllers, you know, or your, the ability to reach out and interact with things, you know, maybe turn on the TV or touch something, that just adds a whole new layer. And when people are in virtual reality, and they're able to interact with the world around them. It's as much a memory as a real memory of doing something. You know, I remember one of my first experiences. I went into a human heart and I actually walked around inside a human heart. And I will, for the rest of my life, never forget that I, I feel like I walked in a human heart very much the way that you guys are making people feel like they're sitting in a, a beautiful uh, first class lounge of an airline.
1: It's amazing you mentioned that as well, Alan, because there's a piece of research that's been done by the National Training Laboratory, um, which has found that retention rates, speaking of learning, for for lecture-style learning, for example, are are roughly at 5% across the board and then reading rates are roughly at 10%, whereas VR as a medium of communication and learning scored a retention rate of 75%, which is only just below and um, the idea of teaching others as a means of learning something or retaining information so in that sense it's no accident that vr is already being rolled out uh, as a really cool part of the syllabus across a lot of schools here in the uk as well
0: it, it, it it's it's no um it it's no uh no no surprise to me because uh the first time i tried virtual reality uh the very first time i put it on my head and there's a guy called Chris Milk who showed me and I put it on and I was standing on stage next to Beck in a concert hall, looking around from a first person view and I, I was on stage. I mean, it was just this kind of aha moment. And I, it was in that moment that I actually, I had what, you know, most people in this industry kind of have that, that epiphany moment and they get into the industry right away because I realized that this is more than just entertainment. It's more than just, you know, videos or being on stage. This is the future of human communications. And if you take it one step further, it's obviously the future of education. Because if if I can put you in a lecture and you remember 5%, you know, give you a book, you read 10, okay, that's 15% retention. But if I put you in VR and give you an experience that you actually do at 75% retention rates, that is off the charts. And if you take that into enterprise for training, there's just, you cannot, uh, you cannot fight that. And you, you can't argue against it. There's no way, shape, or form, there's no cost that will come close to offsetting that type of engagement and that type of retention. So, I personally see the future of all education and training as virtual and augmented reality and mixed reality as we move to the glasses in the next kind of five years. And, you know, Boeing is seeing a 25% decrease in the time it takes workers to do complex tasks like wiring harnesses and stuff like that using heads up displays. But more importantly, they're seeing near zero um, error rates. So when you combine the retention rates of, you know, increase in retention rates, decrease in error rates, this is something that the whole world must get on and they will. And it's happening, as as you know, like 2019, it's starting to blow up like crazy. So let me ask you, uh, you know, what are some of the major challenges that you guys uh, faced when you, you know, when you're starting or what are the challenges that, people just starting out now are going to face or or what can they expect?
1: So one of the biggest challenges that we've faced, I think, is in terms of educating a sector as to a set of use cases and benefits at the same time as building and selling a a product. So because this way of doing things, especially for a sector like aviation potentially, is still still relatively new, um, we find that in order to in order to convince of the, of, the, of the compellingness or the coherence of the product, we need first to educate as to what it's actually doing. And I think that challenge comes from maybe a preconception on a, a totally understandable and natural preconception, because this is in various forms, an industry that's been around for a little while. So 360 technology has been around for quite some time. Um, th- the perceptions of it are that uh, perhaps the pe- people don't necessarily understand exactly which pieces of their business process it can benefit just yet. Although like you say, this is very, very quickly going to become cemented as something absolutely necessary within business process across the board, across all spectra. Um, so that's one challenge. I think sort of helping people to see exactly what the use cases are, what the financial benefit can be. Because when you, when you think of marketing experiences, for example, so this, this being one of the biggest chunks of, of, uh, of types of work that we tend to take on, aside from the soft benefit of an airline, for example, working with us on a project, Um, starting to use it at a major trade show where they're the sponsor and seeing thousands of people go through the experience in a weekend because they're compelled by, for example, seeing somebody within a pod have effectively a game style, very fun, very memorable experience um, within an Oculus Rift headset, for example, through the entire experience being reflected on the screen. That's got a lot of pull, but at the moment, other than Um, other than sort of recording the number of people who go through it and then using that as a KPI, it's quite hard to see the exact sort of tangible benefits of, okay, so by implementing VR, I'm going to see, um, purchase consideration, a number of flights bought if I'm an airline increased by X, um, or the popularity of this route increased by Y percent, for
0: example, that's still something that we're a little bit, a little bit far away from. Um, it's interesting. (laughs) It's interesting you say that because when we first started selling this, the first question out of customers' minds was, Okay. Who else is doing it? And what is the ROI? You're like, nobody, and we have no idea. Still want to spend and it's really expensive.
1: <laughs> so true. And therefore, I think just sort of going back to the educational piece of what we're trying to, what we're trying to sort of help a sector to understand is from a cost benefit point of view and from an immersion point of view, the way that this changes the game. So the way that you can at the same time save a whole heap of cost on things like grounding planes, for example, if we look at this from a training perspective, Depending on the aircraft, it can easily cost up to 150k to to ground a plane for enough time to enact training on for cabin crew, for example. And again, that's one of the use cases whereby having a VR experience would pay for itself really, really quickly. Not only that, but in grounding a plane to give training, typically that's for educating, let's say, cabin crew, for example, on uh, a piece of the experience that might be relatively sort of administrative or relatively something that they could definitely sort of do maybe in a more fun way more easily in VR it doesn't it doesn't need to be a particularly sort of complex scenario necessarily so by having training sort of so scalable that you can actually sort of you can you can deploy training to wherever you can put an oculus rift um, HMD and, and a laptop for example saves on cost means that people can digest top-up training all the time. One of our biggest things as well at Neutral is that in focusing on the aviation sector, one of our real primary goals with all of our clients across the board is to improve the passenger experience through various different means. So with training, for example, you're delivering top-up training or complementary training or on-the-side training from the the physical aircraft piece that allows cabin crew as part of their, for example, six-week journey at the beginning of their training course to get even more familiar than they would otherwise be able to um, with various different Processes that they would need to go through in flight that that would help to improve the the passenger experience from a design point of view You're designing better spaces for them and from a marketing point of view We're helping them to understand exactly what experience they're going to be having when they're on board with you guys in a really really fun way so um, It's largely about educating on that. I personally give quite a lot of talks um, Around around the subject at at aviation focused trade shows and that kind of thing and then beyond that obviously it's it's uh, it's selling the product itself, but It's been described to me recently, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, Alan, as well as as an XR expert, as being a bit like skiing. It's something that's actually quite hard to describe to people in words what it feels like and what it does. Um, And people's minds typically start to whir and buzz and really think of all the possibilities once they've experienced something in VR properly. Um, I think we find that in pretty much 100% of cases whereby um, we're, we're giving demos or we're at trade shows, for example. It's really about experiencing and feeling how powerful it is.
0: No, I I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, I I think one of the things that you just, you touched on a second ago that really kind of made me think, wow, this is amazing is that you're using these. So you you've partnered with the airlines and you said, here, we're going to create this airline or this, this experience for your marketing and your, your trade shows. But that same experience, we're going to alter slightly and use it for your training. And that same experience can be used for training for you know, uh, new employees, can be tra- training for specific you know, uh, parts of the airline. So they don't have to recreate everything from scratch, they just can add on to these modules. And I think that's a really powerful thing, especially in technology where you can, it's very rare when you can take one asset and start reusing it across the enterprise.
1: Oh, 100%, and that's also one of the benefits that we find of building these experiences in full CG over 360 is that you've got the ability to stack on top, um, take away, uh, change, chop and change as you go. Whereas with a 360 experience, for example, you know, again, not not wanting to by any means dumb down the benefits that they have and how fun they can be, of course. But one thing you do miss out on is the fact that if you want to change anything, clearly it's it's video based, so you need to start again, you need to go right back to the beginning. Um, so we find, for example, that working with a lot of clients, as soon as they need to do anything from uh, there's been an amenity kit update in a certain class on board, for example. That's an individual asset that in itself can be changed enormously easy and then just um, re-aggregated into the experience in that way. So the ease of being able to keep current with, with what exactly it is that, um, that anybody um, deploying these kinds of experiences wants to show is, is incredibly powerful. And yes, like you say, the ability to replicate the use cases once you've got a base asset in your library in the form of an aircraft, for example, you can just as easily create a marketing experience on board a virtualized A351,000 as you can a training one. It's very, very powerful indeed.
0: It really is. So I know what's going to happen. People are going to ask questions like, you know, how, how many people, like what, how, what does it take to build out something like this? When somebody calls you and they say, hey, we have a, a new airplane, we want to make a marketing experience, and you, know, you say to them, okay, well, we're going to make this for you. How, like, how long is it going to take for the, you guys to build it? What are the costs surrounding this? Um, What are some of the things that you need from a customer to kind of get building on this? Good
1: question. So the timelines for, let's say, for example, an experience that incorporates an exterior element where um, there's a specific aircraft involved and there's an interactive outside piece, for example, maybe celebrating various liveries um, and then maybe two or three classes on board with a very, very coherent storyboard. So I'll, I'll touch on that again in a second as well, but we, we firmly believe that the storyboard holds paramount importance in the relevance of the experience and its ability to achieve a business goal. So I'd love to talk about that some more in a second too. Um, but to create an experience that kind of does that um, and shows off an entire, that really shows off the brand in the best possible way, it takes about 12 to 16 weeks typically. In terms of cost, it, it's very variable. Um, and it would be, I think, yeah, I, it, it's hard to put a specific cost on, on any kind of.
0: Okay, so what let, What are some of the variables that, uh, you know, give us a range. So, yeah, yeah like, you know, is this like a you know, quarter million to a million or a hundred thousand to half a million? Like, what is the range? And then what are some of the variables that people need to think about, you know, uh, photorealism versus, you know, this AI driven avatars? Like, what are some of the things that drive the costs uh, up?
1: complexity of storyboard is probably one of the biggest things, so um, the, the way you want the experience to pan out, so how gamified it is, for example, so we created something very, very cool with Cathay Pacific last year, for example, um, to celebrate the arrival of the A351000 into their fleet and the opening of the new Hong Kong to Washington route, um, which again was launched at a really, really cool trade show with them called, um, called Wine and Dine in Hong Kong last October. Um that, got, that has a gamified element in it where, for example, the user gets to role play as a member of cabin crew, which makes them feel a whole lot closer to the brand, really conveys the warmth of the cafe brand and that kind of thing. That's a relatively complex experience. Um, and then it could just be, for example, that we're working with somebody to celebrate the arrival of a new cabin layout in a certain class, for example, or a new seat. And those are the kinds of things that add variables. In the number of assets as well is, is obviously a, a pretty heavily influencing factor. And in terms of the cost ranges, um, if, unhelpfully, Alan, it's pretty much any of the above that you just that you just mentioned uh, in in terms of cost brackets, depending on the complexity of the experience itself.
0: What, what so we what do- would be the minimum entry point? So my guess is, you know, and and I don't know your business, but my guess is between one hundred and two hundred thousand kind of would be the entry to do something. Like this. Yeah, I think an entry piece,
1: for example, where you're looking at, um, at celebrating something pretty specific would be to, towards the lower end of those two figures. Yeah, it would be more like around the 100k mark, for example, um, than than it would the 200k mark. But um, I think on average, we tend to say that, for example, if you're creating a marketing experience with us that celebrates the same kinds of things that you would normally want to bring out at a trade show, and you want to do it in such a way as you're not, you know, making your your visitors sit in an, in a, just in a seat still with the trade show environment surrounding them such that they can't really tell that they're meant to be on board an aircraft necessarily, then these kinds of things typically pay for themselves within one to two trade shows.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then also, um, you know, the the ability to reuse assets that's, you know, vital. So, yeah, exactly. So now here's something that I've not touched on with any other guests on the show. What about, the earned media that these companies are getting by being kind of forward leading and forward thinking on this, you know, some of the earned media that that some of these brands are getting far outweighs the cost of even developing this. So they spend a quarter million dollars and then they get $10 million in earned media. Is that something, you know, in line with what you guys are seeing? Totally. 100%. So a
1: hundred percent. So a couple of examples
0: against that.
1: Um, Air Canada being the, the the most current one right now, um, there's there's shortly to be an Epic Games case study um, on the experience uh, that, that they've built with us um, or, or maybe all of the experiences that they've built with us, for example, across the entire spectrum of aircraft with, with, with which we work with them. We work with them on three aircraft. Um, so that'll generate um, enormously good PR, perhaps in circles that without doing VR experience wouldn't have been perhaps quite so forthcoming so um, it's definitely something that's going to help the Air Canada brand to really cement itself as being one that invests in innovation and beyond that and and indeed as a consequence of that um, has the passenger experience and the comfort of the passenger right at the front of its thinking all the time so that's definitely a a very big PR benefit um, to this it shows the brand off as being an investor in tech an investor in innovation and importantly a brand that knows how to use tech for good use tech for for the benefit of the passenger. with Cafe, for example, we um, at, at the Wine and Dine show where they, where they released this, this experience for the first time last year, whereby there were sort of prize giveaways around this as well. So, you know, being able to win a place on that flight from Hong Kong to Washington, um, we really found that the, the softer benefits of people being able to walk past a really cool stand, which was meant to be the, the sort of the front of an A350 1000 cutoff. Um, with a glass panel at the back of it with the experiences going on inside and with the TV screen pointing outwards to attract more people into the queue. Um, It really got people's kind of creative juices flowing. It really got people feeling excited in the same way as they would do if they were going into a a traditionally sort of B2C-focused VR experience, perhaps to compare it to something along the lines of Secrets of the Empire, the Star Wars experience that I believe is currently in Toronto, actually. Um so it's that kind of um it's that kind of emotion that it's calling on and that kind of p r value um as as showing off the brand as being an investor in tech and 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 the brand that's really sort of seeing this for the for the communication medium that it's going to be across the board very soon they're showing themselves as real sort of early adopters real innovators in this space um and that brings with it enormous p r value of
0: course It's interesting that you say early adopters and you know. I think brands that are, you know, getting in now are still early adopters, but by the end of 2019, this is just going to be the way you do business. And I think, you know, we're going to go away from, oh yeah, you're, you know, you're technologically advanced because you're using VR and AR. To you're not using VR and AR, what's wrong with you? I, I really think we're on the cusp of that. I think you're absolutely right. And you, you, you
1: could well be right on the money in saying it's going to be within 2019. We're certainly starting to see a snowball effect and we're really now starting to see the more use cases that we, uh, the more projects that we work on that really call to a specific use case, um, the, the more brands are starting to approach us really sort of understanding what the benefits are. And I think once that has reached its tipping point, then it, this 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 medium, this this sort of business process will show itself as being as vital as we know it's going to be very, very quickly.
0: Well, I want to talk about one other thing that I saw that you guys are doing. Uh, it's not in VR. It's not in AR. It's actually in 3D on web. And what you've done is taken the same asset that you put people in VR on and brought it onto web in a 3D player environment so people can spin the plane around and look at the, the plane from different aspects. Tell, talk to us about kind of that type of idea of using this asset for a web-based experience or a mobile experience as well, because yeah. it's not all about just having it on your on your face as, as a headset at a trade show. This is something that can scale to their website and you know to millions and millions of people. And by the end of 2019, there will be over two billion smartphones that'll be AR enabled. Uh, and that's a lot of people that will have powerful AR in the pocket of their of their jeans, being able to pull out their phone and maybe drop a 747 in their driveway. so you're
1: absolutely right so i've seen some really cool experiences in the automotive sector that do that i know bmw have got one for the i8 as well where you can drop one in front of your in front of your face on the driveway and and that's obviously something that that is extremely useful for tech that they know that consumers have got everyday access to and like
0: i'm actually i'm gonna put because we have a lamborghini one i'm gonna drop a lamborghini in my living room Take a picture, and I'll put it in the show notes below. That's
1: a great idea. I, I know McLaren have got a, a really good experience in that regard as well. Um, they, they built something really cool uh, in, in VR as, as well that, that's sort of more of a configurator setup. But there's a lot going on in the automotive space as well, which I think is an entire other podcast in itself, potentially material-wise. Um, but from a, an aviation point of view, and these sort of complementary assets, these extra assets that you can get from the experience, you're absolutely right. I think whilst we're in a day and age where... Um, hardware such as the Oculus Rift, the, the upcoming Oculus Quest, for example, the HTC Vive, um, are much more um, a much more sort of applicable pieces of hardware for businesses to buy and to use for trade show use cases, for example, whereby you've got a lot of footfall people going through the same device. Um, it's really important to be able to scale these experiences out to what consumers can currently tap into from the comfort of their own homes. So um, one of the beauties of having, uh, you know, both, incredibly interactive and demonstrative experiences as well as incredible visuals, Uh, one of the best things that that does, it means that we can sort of boil down assets and boil down slices of the experience from the VR experience itself that can be used on marketing channels, websites, YouTube channels, Vimeo channels, for example, to allow the, the consumer at home to access this through different devices and to still have much of the same exploratory benefits of the experience we create without necessarily having the access to... Um, the hardware that the experience itself was built for in the first place. And I think whilst the hardware market is where it is, and whilst it's obviously not something that everybody's got access to all the time, uh, for price or, you know, the ability to put it up in a home, for example, all those kinds of things, there there are obviously, it's not reached 100% mass adoption just yet. It's really powerful for brands to be able to have that. So um, one of the most recent projects that we completed, we we had the pleasure of working with British Airways uh, the last few months um, around the release of their new club suite offering. For the A350 aircraft, um, a, a large chunk of the benefit beyond the familiarisation piece, of course, was the fact that um, th- those assets can be can be used in in marketing channels and can be used to spread awareness about um, and generate appetite for a, a really really exciting development for them. Also, as part of their 100 year anniversary, um, very much as a traditional marketing piece that had these extra 360 video pieces built into it from the assets we created um, and the ability to um, again you know show themselves as being an investor in tech and and demonstrate this class that obviously doesn't it doesn't sort of physically yet exist it will do very soon but having built it in VR it's now important for us to, to work with them to be able to, to get it out into the public domain and that's exactly what these assets have been used for so um, it, it's definitely something that has has great effect
0: So moving uh, you know a little bit along what I would ask you is you know what's one of the best? XR experiences that you've ever had personally and it can be you know within your company or you know outside but what is kind of that thing that you know you did that was like wow what was your wow moment uh,
1: our head of VR Sergio who is um who's who's got an, an incredible amount of industry knowledge and been through an incredible number of experiences like this but 100% agree with me on this but the the secrets of the Empire Star Wars experience is is, is pretty much streets ahead in terms of everything that I've experienced and this is very much from a B2C point of view obviously but Um, It spent a little time here in London in in Westfield, um, and the, the ability to do exactly what XR is meant to do in the sense that it transports your mind to a completely different reality and makes you genuinely convinced that you're somewhere else and taking part in a different set of activities and opens up a whole number of possibilities of different kinds of interactions you can have, different worlds you can inhabit combined with the way that it interacts with physical assets. So for example, there's a piece at the beginning where you can you, you pick up a gun as the start of your mission and there's a physical gun in front of you as well as being in the VR experience. The way that the physical world and the virtual world have been meshed and embedded together is, is mind-blowingly powerful. Um, as far as anything I've experienced, that's definitely, that's definitely uh, right at the top for now. Um, that's the void, right? Sorry? That's the
0: void. Yes, yes, it is the void, absolutely. So for the people listening, uh, that's The Void, and they're in a number of different cities. There's one in New York. Um, it's a Utah-based company called The Void, and I think it's thevoid.com. I'm pretty sure it is. And um, there's an, There's a one in Toronto. There's actually two in Toronto, believe it or not. Wow. We're the only city in the world to have two. Um, and uh, they have a bunch of different experiences. One's the Ghostbusters, Star Wars. Uh, wreck it ralph where you're you're actually going in in the wreck it ralph world so the that's an incredible experience and you're not the first person to to say that as well so i think the the guys at the void have really done a great job at at bringing the magic into vr and put haptic floors scent machines they've hijacked all your senses and i think that's really important do you guys have you guys used uh, anything other than kind of Visuals and audio? Have you used haptics or uh, scent machines or anything like that?
1: Yeah, we have. So, to, to a, a relatively simplified degree, we've used haptics um, to to demonstrate touch and pick up and, and various different actions within um, a lot of our airline focused experiences. One of the reasons why we haven't sort of gone too much further with that just yet and, and rather used as a mechanism to, to demonstrate what it would feel like to pick something up in the physical world um, is that because of the wide variety of different people who are going through these kinds of experiences. And I want to talk about the void a little bit more in that sense in a second, because creating content like that and experiences like that is enormously helpful in just generally sort of increasing the awareness of what VR can do. And it's something that's going to help all content creators across the board to be able to communicate their message more clearly. Um, one of the things that we that we really focus on when we build these experiences is making it as as intuitive and as simple as it possibly can be for the user. So not adding too many buttons and bells and whistles, making the instructions really clear, um, really sort of highlighting the interactions that there are, but not not including too much as to confuse or overwhelm the user. Um, but but certainly to the extent that, that we can, without overcomplicating things and really helping the user to intuitively use what we build, um, we, we have integrated certain pieces of haptic uh, Haptic response within the Oculus Rift controllers for pieces of the experiences that we build. Yes, um, I think there's definitely a whole heap more potential for that. Though as the industry grows in consciousness towards this towards this means of doing things.
0: So, I, I'm just going to throw this because you, you talked about the best experience you had. But what is the most impressive business use case that you've seen so far? So what is the, the you know one thing that. You go, wow, that, you know, I never thought of that, but wow, that is a really good business use case.
1: Um, that's a really good question. To, to be honest, we're at the stage in the industry where there's, there's a whole lot of impressive experiences out there. Um, and having a tour of the Epic Games studio last year um, was really something that I'd only recently joined Neutral Digital by this stage. So it was really a, an educational day for me. Um, there's not really an individual one. I'm disappointingly going to have to sort of offer that in my answer. Um, the, the space, however, where I feel like the most impressive across the board B2B technology is currently existing is in automotive. Um, so a, a very, very obvious use case and a very obvious sort of extension to what previously existed that, that sort of uh, where VR would find its home would be in configurators, would be in um, building a luxury car, for example, from the ground up. Um, I know McLaren have got something like this. Toyota have got something that's really cool along these lines as well, um, is the ability to really feel as though you're in the room with that car. So you mentioned the idea of um, using AR to place a Lamborghini on your driveway, or I've seen the BMW i8 experience as well, which is extremely powerful. I really feel as though in VR you can go even a step beyond that um, and within uh, within, within whatever space you want to place it in, whatever environment you want to place it in, to be to be able to be really close up to a, a super luxury vehicle, for example, to be able to take it apart using interactive VR, to be able to examine different elements of it, be able to see how it's built from the ground up. Um, I've seen ex- experiences where you can sort of explode the car, if you will, out. So you can examine every single tiny detailed component um, of what makes up the, the beautiful thing that you see in front of you and then zoom it all back together and just sort of see how it meshes together and works as a system is, is incredibly powerful. And I think a lot of the... The most um, the most powerful B2B visuals, the most powerful means of really getting a market excited about a product, um, a lot of that exists within automotive. It's it's a really, really impressive space from the VR perspective right now.
0: It's interesting you mention that because one of our previous guests on the show was Elizabeth Barron, who was the head of VR for Ford Motor Company in Detroit for the last 20 years. Amazing. Wow. And, uh, yeah. She has seen everything from, you know, cave systems to early VR headsets to multi-million dollar, you know, uh, experimental headsets. They even built um, one with magnetic tracking. But if you can imagine magnetic tracking, you can't have any metal. So they built an entire cockpit out of wood. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And so the great thing about the way VR is being used at Ford is they're actually using it for design first. So they'll bring the car in. They'll have design meetings. They'll, you know, look at different uh, aspects of the car real-time and then management uh, will come in in virtual reality from around the world and look at the vehicle from all angles different lighting uh, they've got real-time ray tracing meaning the the lighting kind of bounces off the light the pro or bouncing off the car the right way um, they've got simulators where you can drive the cars um, and then you know that same asset that they're using for design once that car is designed and approved by everybody and they know they're going to go to build with it now you can take that and use it as a marketing asset so they're doing the same thing you guys are doing with airlines, only with cars and reusing those assets for marketing and, and you know sales distribution. And I think one of the coolest things that I saw was Jaguar was using VR to sell cars that were not even, they wouldn't even be ready for three years. <laughs> that's insane. No, that, that's, that's absolutely
1: the power of it. Um, the ability to generate appetite for something that otherwise you would only have sketches or words to be able to describe these things in. Um, Bravo to to Ford. That's a fantastic use case, and especially the ability to bring, like you say, upper management in from remote parts of the world and sort of co-design this thing, co-approve this thing before it's even been physically created, and then reuse that asset for various different uh, various different purposes. How powerful is that in terms of being able to save on costs, in terms of being able to save on logistics and people having to be in the same space in order to being you know to be able to save on Physical prototyping of of components or indeed the entire vehicle, um, and in order to make an experience fun, uh, hyper visual, hyper interactive, and make you feel like you're right next to the actual vehicle when hell it, it doesn't exist yet.
0: <laughs> I know it's crazy. It, it doesn't even absolutely exist. Absolutely mind blowing. It's um, here's another here's another crazy one. HTC has been promoting this. Bell Helicopters just designed a new a uh, future age, age helicopter normally takes them two to three years to develop a helicopter. They built the whole thing in virtual reality in six months. Jeez. Wow. So they saved a 10 times increase in productivity. Exactly. And that, that's, that's an
1: asset or an experience that they've built that's never going to become defunct. If there are any changes required to that base helicopter model, for example, they can be made. They can be made in real time. Um, yeah and and they're going to be able to use that for a variety of different purposes going forward which they they it's just not something they'd have access to with a physical a physical mockup a physical model no it's it's uh when I first joined neutral i i I hadn't had a massive amount of exposure to the VR sector just yet so there was a lot of learning to be done a lot of upskilling in the first month or so I really saw from having seen some of neutral's experiences before I actually joined the company um I really saw this as being <laughs> about as close to teleportation as you can currently get. And I know that's a very childlike, somewhat basic way of describing what VR actually does, but it's got the same kind of um, multidimensional trans- transportative kind of benefits to it and abilities to it that can genuinely sort of make you feel like you're, you're completely somewhere else and can genuinely make you feel like you're next to something that doesn't actually exist in reality, but can really, really trick your brain convince your brain to thinking that it does it's um, it's so powerful and it, it, it really is uh, have you read the book the um, the the fourth transformation by Robert Scoble
0: I have and uh, Robert actually is going to be a guest on the show as well no way and that, okay. well that's one of the
1: books that I read as
0: part of my sort of upskilling to, before I before I joined this company so um, yeah you, you got to get uh, Charlie Fink's Convergence as well and, and Charlie Fink's Metaverse even though he spelled Metaverse wrong
1: oh no <laughs> <laughs> as in he, he put an e between the v and the r
0: i take it yeah uh, what the heck was he thinking uh, i'm sorry to hear that i was actually one of the contributing authors to uh to convergence so oh wow I, I know robert and i know um uh, charlie very well robert and i have geeked out uh, many times and as a matter of fact the first vr experience i ever did with chris milk with the, that concert uh-huh. was with robert scoble oh no way amazing yeah We both tried it together at uh, Curiosity Camp, which was uh, Eric Schmidt's um, camp for tech people. Jeez, no way!
1: That's so cool.
0: That was my uh, introduction to VR. So I feel very blessed to have been brought into this world by, you know, the kind of fathers of the industry. Goodness, yeah, people with uh, people of that sort of caliber. That's that's really amazing. What an intro! Yeah, no kidding. So I I dove in headfirst, and uh, (laughs) it's been an incredible run. So let's let's shift gears to you know I'm gonna ask one final question then we'll recap but I think you know this has been an amazing interview so far and I really want to get your insights on this next part what do you see for the future of VR AR and XR as it pertains to business what do you see the future is
1: I hundred percent agree with an observation that you made earlier Alan that sort of potentially by the end of 2019 or indeed whenever this is going to happen it's a matter of when not if that VR is going to be something that businesses simply need as a core business process so whether that be for a communication purpose or whether it be for familiarization with a product internally or for training purposes or for um using as part of a a, a consultative engagement with a client if you're a large consultancy for example i think clients are going to really sort of start seeing the need for this and those who Um, those who create projects and those who create business and work collaboratively with their own clients will need to start integrating this into their own business processes in turn. It's going to be an incredibly core part of uh, innovation centers at large companies and and business processes and the product development lifecycle for all sizes of business within whatever timeframe that may be. I think certainly within five years, a little bit contingent on Um, the hardware market and developments therein uh, and a little bit on the number of content creators out there sort of really focusing on specialisms and really sort of um, honing in on having very specific skill sets, I think. I think it's really largely about that. I think it it maybe is looking like it's going to be a relatively fragmented marketplace from the content creator's point of view, which I think is why it's so important to specialize to, to retain a sense of serious sort of definition potentially. Um, although there are obviously lots of lots of agencies out there doing the, a, a more generalist approach really really well, so perhaps I'm completely wrong with that. Um, but I think it's going to be something that within uh, n- within the not so distant future is going to be uh, an opportunity cost if you don't have it. it. It's going to be a much more sort of rare state of affairs that a company doesn't use VR, AR, uh, or, or any of any of the extended realities or the mixed realities in some capacity for something. I know that that's a very sort of uh, a sweeping answer, but I very much passionately believe that um, this is this is indeed exactly as uh, Mr. Scoble describes it in his book, that it's going to be um, the industry revolution that the smartphone was in, in so many ways. It, it's going to become a uh, 100% necessary
0: for business. I agree. And on that note, I mean, there's nothing left to say other than thank you so much. Um, I think educating while building and selling is is really a key And, um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time and I want to thank everybody for listening. This has been the XR for business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast was another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing business across every industry. You can learn more about neutral digital by visiting neutral N E U T R A L dot digital D I G I T A L neutral dot digital. Thank you so much. And thanks Greg. Thank you, Alan. It's been a pleasure.